Welcome to another podcast by InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, joined by Ross Martin, Greg Barnes. Day after Christmas. Hard to believe Christmas is coming gone, guys. Carolina basketball continues. Greg, I'll go to you first. Carolina, it's just the nature of the beast in college basketball, it seems like these days. Play is about as bad as they can play against Wofford. Lose to a Wofford team that shouldn't have been on the court, though they are better than people think. Go play Ohio State down in New Orleans and play great. Jalen Felton, Cam Johnson played well. Just night and day over the course of three days. Yeah, I'd probably argue that they didn't play great in New Orleans. Uh, you know, Ohio State is a solid team. North Carolina played well enough to win, but they uh, were able to lean on that three-point shot a little bit. I mean, they still had 17 turnovers. They're averaging something close to 15 or 16 turnovers per game over the last five. That's not going to cut it in ACC play. But to to your point, uh, it, it was a big um, – shift from what we saw against Wofford and I found it very interesting in talking with the players after the game that you know, following the Wofford loss they were expecting a, a pretty rough practice and what Roy Williams did is he didn't even make a put on their basketball shoes they came in Thursday morning uh, and and watched the entire game film and while they're watching the game the coaches are grading it in front of them and they even made them watch after the final horn sounded when Wofford rushed the court and celebrated their, their midcourt. And I think that really speaks to kind of the mindset that Roy Williams has. He tells us a lot of things in the press conference and Roy is, is upfront and honest with media uh, more so than most any coach that you're going to find. I mean, he's a stark contrast, even like what Larry Fedora gives us. Uh, But even saying that, Roy has been kind of hard on his guys with us, but by him taking that approach, that speaks volumes to me. It says a couple of things. One, he knows he's got some veteran leaders on this team who have to do better than what happened against Wofford. They have to be better leaders. They can't allow that type of uh, lethargy to come about. But the other thing, kind of the more important thing, is he's got you know, eight new faces on this team. And so you can run them through the ringer and just make them throw up and not even bring out the basketballs and take that kind of approach. Or you can use it as an incredible learning opportunity and really walk them through and say, look, this team was not as good as you. They were not as big, not as talented, and they outworked you. And by doing that, they beat you. This was a team that was 0-22 coming into that game in Chapel Hill against top 25 opponents. Their first win was in Chapel Hill against UNC. That should never happen. And in speaking with Cameron Johnson after the game in New Orleans, he said it was an incredible wake-up call to actually see what transpired and to see the lack of energy and the lack of enthusiasm and all those types of things. And I think you saw the results of that conversation, of that, of that film review against Ohio State. They still weren't, uh, it still wasn't as clean as the game. You know, I mentioned the turnovers, but I think the energy was there. And North Carolina heading into ACC play, if they don't play with that kind of energy, they're going to lose a lot of games. You can, you can work around mistakes 
and you can work around missed shots. But if you don't have that passion to play, uh, this team is not good enough to overcome that on a consistent basis. And so I think that was a very interesting approach uh, that transpired that that week over you know, right before Christmas with the Wofford loss, the film review study, and then the, the Ohio State game. Ross, it goes to show even with a veteran team with Barry Pinson and those guys that have been around, Coach Williams can say it all he wants, but until they see it themselves and they play a Wofford team, they're not even good enough. And this is not really – folks may not like this comment, but Carolina's not good enough to sleepwalk and beat even Wofford. And so I think if there's a egg that you lay in a season, I think the Wofford game maybe could be a turning point for this team. Your thought on that, I mean, you look at Jalen Felton, non-existent against Wofford, comes out against Ohio State, four for five on threes in 12 minutes, and looks like a completely different player. The guy that everybody expected when he got to Chapel Hill. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as a fan, uh, UNC would rather lose to Wofford than lose against Wake or Florida State or Virginia early in the ACC season. Wofford being a non-conference game, kind of a forgotten game in December. <clears throat> and it is kind of like a big wake-up call. An embarrassing loss, you know, being beat that way by a team that is far less talented than UNC and being kind of run out of your own gym in front of a pretty good North Carolina crowd uh, in the Dean Dome. And obviously, Roy wanted to use that tape, as Greg talked about, to kind of make some points and and show certain things to the team. And obviously, that's going to click and resonate with the players. And, uh, you know... I didn't expect UNC to, to struggle much with Ohio State, but it's a more talented team, and it seemed like the Tar Heels were in control the entire game. Um, from watching it on TV, saw that, you know, obviously Julie Felton played great offensively, four or five from the field, or four or five from three, um, five assists. He, he, you're seeing those flashes. You're seeing him become more comfortable. Obviously needs to limit the turnovers and um, and, and improve on defense. But uh, I thought the way Cam Johnson is playing on offense is just adding a different element to this team, the element we expected. Um, he seems like, you know, he's very confident out there. You can see that he's a poised veteran, despite his inexperience playing with uh, this team in, in this offense, four for seven from the field, two for four from three, four for four from the free throw line, four turnovers. But, you know, he also hit the glass some with five rebounds and finished with 14 points. Um, I think what he brings can be huge for this team because he is a taller player and still there's not a consistent inside presence for UNC outside of an undersized Luke May. And I think that's going to be what really hurts UNC in the ACC season and in March because every UNC team that, that does really well in, in, in February and March has dominant big men. Uh, Kenny Meeks, Isaiah Hicks, then Bryce Johnson, John Henson, Tyler Zeller, uh, Sean May, Tyler Hansborough. You know, this team does not have that player. Uh, Luke May is good. He's above average. He's excellent at times, but they're going to struggle, I think, um, unless miraculously the perimeter players just play out of their minds every game and shoot like they did against Ohio State, 52% from three. Those are kind of my takeaways. Johnson's performance, Julie Felton's performance. UNC's three-point shooting, and still that kind of lack of consistent offensive performance from their interior players. Huffman, Manley, 
Brooks combined for five points. That's just not going to cut it uh, when ACC play starts. Greg, I want to get to that point in in a second, but going back to Roy Williams actually showing them the tape and doing that, it reminds me um, what we try to do as youth coaches, and you'll get into it, and Ross, you'll get into it eventually. You can tell a kid all you want. <laughs> You're doing this. You're doing this, and it's not correct. No, I don't believe it. So I would find myself sneaking a picture or sneaking a video on my phone of a kid on the baseball field doing something incorrect and then telling them, and they say, no, I didn't do that, and then I show them, and they get it. To your knowledge, has Coach Williams done that before? I mean, I'm sure he has, but has it been publicly known that he's approached it that way, especially when he's got guys – like Barry and Pinson out there and Luke May, uh, they usually lead by example, show the other guys. But is that a different approach, you think, just specific for this team, or is that a Roy Williams thing over the years? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question, Tommy. And to be honest, um, of all the you know, post-game film sessions that I've heard about, I, I can't recall hearing about Roy making them watch the entire game while grading the film. We've heard of lengthy film sessions where they've really broken down plays and stretches of games and those types of things. Uh, but I can't recall any any players talking about that specific type of approach. And I really think it speaks to uh, Roy's ability to kind of understand the pulse of the team, even though it's still so early. I mean, because there have been times when he's just run the guys as much as he can run them. And they talk about how tired they are and how you know, some of them got sick and, and all these kinds of things. Um, but, but I think this is really a situation where uh, the guys, maybe maybe after the Wofford game, let me put it like this, Joe Barry was, was very harsh in his critique of some of the guys coming off the bench and saying, the starters cannot play the entire game at this level and have the secondary guys come in and not play up to that level. It's not going to be a working formula for us to have going forward. And so not that there's any kind of tension in the team, not to suggest that, but just that maybe there's some irritation with, with players still trying to kind of understand their roles. And that's one thing Luke May told me after the Ohio State game is, you know, a lot of this shot selection is about knowing what your role is, playing to your role, um, and making sure you know the best players get the best shots. And Roy Williams, that's kind of been his his mindset for a long, long time. You know, you know when a coach is doing his job, when the best players are taking the most shots. That's what you want. You know, if you've got a guy who's your third option and he's firing up twenty shots a game, uh, the the defense is making you do something that doesn't work in your favor. And so I think it's really just a matter of, of Roy probably sensing. Uh, some things needed to be uh, handled in a certain way, and he took that approach. But we've heard a lot of different ways that he's kind of massaged teams over the years. So it doesn't surprise me that he took this approach, uh, but it but it does speak to the kind of the, the different ways that, that he goes about doing it. Yeah, and and Greg, I was in that scrum after the Wofford game with uh, with Joel Berry when I, I guess he kind of called out you know some of the freshmen or some of the new players on stepping up. And I think that's a really interesting dynamic because, I mean, he's a senior. He's 22, 
years old or maybe he's 21 and these guys are 18 and that's a I mean it's a significant age difference and I remember in college I mean you don't you don't associate with with freshmen that much um as a as a senior unless you're hazing them at a fraternity house but um I mean it's, it's kind of an interesting dynamic these are the young players they're their first year in college and um and you got a veteran a, a national champion a most outstanding player of the final four you know saying some stuff in the media about them obviously it's not a huge huge deal I just think the way that a senior like Pinson or Barry operates with these young guys is interesting to watch because obviously they do need more from the bench players who are mostly freshmen in Manly and Angelique Felton and those guys. Because um, you looked at last year's team and the bench players on last year's team, 2017, was Nate Britt, a senior who everybody trusted, everybody was was boys with, and, and he was a, a, a very serviceable backup. And then you had Tony Bradley, who who was a freshman, but came in and was always very, very productive, rebounding the ball and and scoring when they needed him to. And those were kind of the two main backups, I believe, if I'm missing someone. And, uh, and obviously this team is kind of struggling to find who can kind of be those reserves for this team, and that was what's Barry pointing to. But I think that dynamic of how you kind of operate being a veteran and trying to bring these freshmen along because Theo Pinson and Joel Berry and Kenny Williams and Luke May are trying to win another championship and is, they can't do it themselves and they need a couple players to step up. And I think that's what uh, Joel was talking about after Wofford and will be interesting to kind of watch that dynamic and progression of the players moving forward to ACC play when they're going to need them even more um, moving forward. Yeah, and I think I think the leadership dynamic is, is so fascinating to watch over the years because Tyler Hansbrough, even though he probably didn't even think about being a leader, he was an incredible leader because he was such a hard worker. And when he stepped into the gym, he operated at such a high level that everybody was like, well, if I don't work as hard as he does, then coaches are going to see that, and I'm probably not going to play. And so that's incredible leadership. Then you have a guy like Marcus Page who's so cerebral. And Kendall Marshall was this way to an extent. But they're so cerebral that they, they kind of get into the, the details with you. Um, and that's how they kind of lead. They're very encouraging. They're very instructive. Uh, and so that's a way to do it. And then I think this year's dynamic is fascinating because Joe Barry, you know, similar to Hansborough, uh, but he's very much kind of the tough mindset. Uh, you know, he, he doesn't think anything has been given to him. He's shorter than a lot of guys. Nobody's given him a lot of credit when he was younger. And he has far exceeded what a lot of our expectations were going to be for Joel. And he is just a, a tough kid. And then you have Theo Penson, who's everybody's best friend. And he's, he's, everybody loves him. He's affable. Uh, he cuts up with everybody. And so you've got two seniors there. Well, it's almost kind of like a, a, a good cop, bad cop scenario where Joel is going to give you the truth. And you may not like it, but it's going to be honest. And it's going to be how he feels. And then you got Theo over there who is going to be able to kind of massage things and, and make you laugh about it and those types of things. So I think that pairing really works from that dynamic. And I know some people didn't like the way that Joel uh, addressed that with the media. But it wasn't I, – I didn't take it as though Joel was really trying to take a shot at the young guys. I think it was just him saying, look, we all have to play better. But these young guys have to elevate their play. It's, it's our job to help them do that 
but we need them to take this more seriously and to become better players quicker if we want to reach those goals, which are crazy lofty. Yeah. Um, and so I think I think that's just a very unique dynamic. To add one thing, I mean, Barry didn't call out anybody by name or anything, and it wasn't that, like, crazy what he said, just to clarify. And also, another thing I want to add, um, I think it was in the preseason, you know, during ACC media days, I think Roy said that Theo Pinson is the only guy who can get on Barry and their roommates. Right. And best buddies, yep. but Pinson has that uh, leadership ability or whatever friendship where he can get on Barry and, and help him or direct him or, you know, kind of uh, speak to him on certain things. Something that uh, obviously an underclassman wouldn't really feel comfortable doing uh, to the to the veteran Barry. So that's another kind of dynamic within the uh, leadership uh, situation there. And I think when you have players getting on each other or pulling on each other, I mean – We've heard over the years some coaches will just blear you out all the time and you just kind of zone them out. But when you've got your own teammates call you out, either by name or not, I mean, he didn't call names, but everybody in that locker room knew who he was talking about. And I think that's a, a good dynamic because, frankly, it doesn't matter who the coach is. If you scream at somebody all the time, and Carolina's had some of those guys that have gotten that treatment you just zone them out. But when your fellow teammates do it, maybe you listen a little bit more. And I think you saw that with the play of some of the bench players against Ohio State. I'm going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to go back to the sort of the lack of interior that Carolina has, especially against Ohio State and looking ahead, how that will play out in ACC season. Ross, I'll start with you on this because the way you described it, Carolina shooting three pointers. They're going to need to be perimeter oriented if, you know, Brooks and Manley and Huffman don't step up and help Luke May. And they've done it thus far this season. But we're going into the ACC here where it's going to be a little bit different. You, you sort of described how a team up the road plays or, or has in the past. You live and die from the outside. Do you think that Carolina can successfully play that way? Or do you think that, you know, for Carolina to have success in the ACC, finish up there where the expectations are, I mean, Brooks, Manley, and to a lesser extent, Huffman, they have to be that combined 12 to 14, 8 to 10 guys, don't they? Yeah, I, I think to make a, a big run and, and challenge for the ACC regular season title, they're going to have to be, when, you know, yeah, 15, 18 points a game combined and, and 10 rebounds or so. The I mean, they have a lot of shooters, and I think that's important because this team is has as many shooters as I can remember. I mean, when they go with that lineup that I think Greg wrote about after the Ohio State game with Luke May, Theo Pinson, Kenny Williams, Joel Berry, and Cameron Johnson, I mean, that's four guys who can shoot a three, five guys who think they can shoot threes and uh, with Pinson, and then uh, obviously some great distributors and, and, and all those guys. I mean, Berry, uh, Pinson, May, they can all pass the ball really well. Um, that lineup is scary good, I think, but it still lacks the rebounding because their biggest player is Luke May, uh, a guy pushing 6'8". Um, so I think it's, it's going to be really interesting to watch. I mean, I think that lineup's going to be really good. I think Roy is just going to be too scared to kind of commit to the small lineup, and maybe rightfully so, because I think Brooks and Manley are pretty good, just not as good as they, as they need. Um, and it's weird that it's weird what Roy Williams is doing with those bigs. Cause one game he'll go with Brooks for 25 minutes and one game he'll go to Manly for, for 20 minutes. And it kind of rotates depending on the matchups. 
which is smart, but the lack the lack of committing to one is is kind of the issue because I don't think he knows. I don't think we know or anybody knows if it's Brooks or if it's Manley that's going to be the guy. And maybe that's not a bad thing, but they'll improve, I think, and that will help. But I think they're getting ex- exposed against teams like Duke this year and other teams that have big players. Um, but the game is also evolving, and this is something uh, a broader subject to to touch on. That a lot of teams are going small with versatile big men and, and power forwards that are really stretch forwards that don't play their back to the basket, and teams that run uh, four in or four out, one in, or even five guys that can can bring the ball up and, and shoot the ball from the outside. And and this season is kind of the evolution for UNC. I don't think really likes that, but that's what the card he was dealt with some suspect recruiting in the last couple of years. So I think I mean, that's going to, I think that is the main issue with this team is that there's not a significant consistent big man inside because Luke is good and, and can be that guy, but he is limited and he does like to step outside uh, and shoot threes and play from the perimeter. He's a good, I think he's a good enough rebounder to be that man. But I think inside, you know, you saw it against Wofford, Cameron Jackson, uh, blocked a bunch of his shots, um, and he's he ha- is limited a little bit offensively down low. So whether Manley or Brooks steps up, that's going to be important to watch, and I think that will spell UNC's fortune uh, in the coming coming uh, games and months. Greg, talking about the sort of evolution of the game, it was interesting at the Hornets game the other night, I had that discussion with a guy I was sitting beside. There's no big, huge centers anymore in the NBA. And then Dwight Howard's out there, who's a monster up close. And he beat John Henson to death in the second half of that ball game. But for Carolina's purposes, I'll ask that same question to you. Can they survive a small lineup in the ACC? And also, does it matter whether it's Brooks or Manley? And does it need to be consistent minutes for either one of them? Or can Roy Williams do it? Um, just based on feel or who's having the better game. Yeah, I definitely think you can do that. Um, really, the idea, I think, this this non-conference season was to give those young guys enough opportunities to where they can give you some kind of production over the course of the season. To expect any of those guys, given their talent level, experience level right now, to give you a consistent performance game in and game out, is asking way too much. But if Manley can get into the groove one game and give you 15 really good minutes, then you take that and run. And if it's Brooks the next game, so be it. And I think that's going to be the key. that They do need Manley to continue to to get in better shape. Uh, Brooks is is able to play 25 minutes a game, no problem. And I think that's a little bit of a challenge for for Manley at this point in time. Uh, But the, the... the better condition he can continue to get will, will help out as we get closer to the postseason play. Uh, but, you know, I think Roy has shown in, in recent years that he's willing to go to that small lineup a lot more than he used to be. And I think that the key component there is the rebounding aspect. If you you can get out and you can be aggressive with that half-court trap, and that three-quarter court trap uh, with that lineup, but you've got to be able to rebound. And as long as that group proves that they can rebound against some of the bigger teams in the ACC, he'll be willing to stick with them. Because he said in the past, there is a trade-off. You know, he's okay going small, but you either have to be much better offensively efficient 
if you're not going to be as good of a rebounding team. If it's a wash with your offensive efficiency and you're getting out rebounded, he's not going to go to it. And so I, I think it's more about kind of what the players are able to do uh, more so than really what his thoughts are. We, we know he likes the traditional lineup. He would prefer to go that route. But if the small lineup gives his team a better chance to win, then he's proven that he will take that approach. Um, and I do think it's going to be one of those situations. This is kind of how I see it playing out, where we're going to see a lot of the, the two big lineup for a lot of these games. And you may see stretches early in the first half uh, where you go with that small lineup. But once you get into crunch time, once you get into that final five, six minute mark, that's when I think you'll start seeing more of that small lineup. Um, if that's where he needs to go, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll have to see if that actually plays out that way. But we kind of saw that against Ohio State, and I could see, I could see that playing out in ACC play as well. Yeah, I saw y'all had, or somebody had referred to it as the death lineup. If they play that way. I think they're successful. Uh, Ross, let's look at the next four games, starting with Wake Forest on Saturday. You've got Wake Forest and then at Florida State, at Virginia, and then Boston College comes home. I mean, there is no rest in there, and it heats up in a hurry. At Florida State, at Virginia, tough any year, especially this year for North Carolina. How, how do you see this stretch going? Yeah, I mean, obviously, ACC play starts. December 30th, an early start for the Heels. I think Wake Forest is the easier game of the next four or five. Uh, obviously, number 24, Florida State in Tallahassee is a challenge, a game that UNC very much, very well could lose. And then Virginia, number nine, Virginia, a, a surprise team, I think, looking at what many people thought Virginia was this season, is a big challenge. And these are legit road games. We expect Tallahassee. And Charlottesville to be rocking for the for the Tar Heels coming in, and it's kind of go time. I mean, the, the Tennessee, te- I think the Tennessee game was a big test for UNC. They passed in the Ohio State game with a not very wild crowd, but still kind of a tune up game to get things everything straight. Was good home for the holidays, and then it starts up. Um, I don't know too much about the particulars of these you know these teams and whatnot, but it's always tough outs on the road. And then, I mean, looking ahead even more, I think Notre Dame is, is a really good team. They've uh, had some more losses than I think been expected, but they have some talented players in Bonzi Colson and uh, some other veterans. That'll be a tough one as well on um, on January 13th. I mean, and that's, I mean, that's almost, I guess, almost two weeks away. So it ramps up here for UNC. Greg, Sort of your expectations over the next couple of weeks, three weeks, four weeks. I mean, is Carolina where they need to be, in your opinion, going into the ACC? I think so. Um, I think it's kind of a situation where we we thought they you would be maybe ten and three, eleven and two. Now the Watford game changes things because North Carolina could could very well be twelve and one, should be twelve and one going in ACC play, and I think everybody w- would take that and be happy with it. I mean, Roy Williams and Theo Pinson both taught, uh, I guess it was before the Tennessee game, of like, yeah, we're actually kind of further ahead than we expected to be. And I think that's still th- the same, regardless of what happened against Wofford. That was more of a, a wake-up call. You got to play your A game type game more than anything. That wasn't, they were out-talented by any stretch. Uh, but the way the schedule works out, we know it's uh, 
you know, back heavy, uh, is back loaded. So many of UNC's schedules in recent years have been that way. I mean, if you if you start looking, really that first week of February, I mean, you've got you've got Duke. You're at State. I know State's not that good, but you know it's at State. You've got Notre Dame. You're at Louisville. You're at Syracuse. You've got Miami, who's a legit team. Then you're at Duke. That is a tough closing stretch. But if you look at the beginning of this ACC schedule, I think it's sneaky good. And I, Ross kind of alluded to it. But at Florida State, with that big freshman down low, that is going to be a test. That's going to be tough. They're very good defensively. At Virginia, um, Tony Bennett is, is a heck of a coach. They are currently ranked number one in the nation in adjusted defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. That is going to be a test because uh, North Carolina cannot afford just to rely on the three ball in that game. If they do and those shots are not falling, they will lose. You know, BC, I mean, they, they beat Duke, but you know, you know, I don't know that that team's really that good. But then you're at Notre Dame. So you're talking about three road games in your first five ACC games that are really tough. And if North Carolina can navigate those and maybe win two of those three road games, you're at four and one. Then you go into a stretch where you've got Clemson, Georgia Tech, Virginia Tech, State at home, Clemson, Pittsburgh, where you're going to win most of those games. But if you trip up and you lose, say, maybe two of these three road games, or even all three of them, which is possible, and you go into that stretch at two and three, knowing what happens on the back end, uh, there's a lot of pressure there. And so I think this is a very important you know, kind of a two-week period starting you know, on Saturday against Wake Forest where North Carolina has to make sure they get off to a good start. Because if you win a lot of these games early and then you can kind of coast through that middle section preparing for that tough final run. If you can do that, then you're in contention for a, a top four seed, a double buy in the ACC tournament in a good seed in the NCAA tournament. But if you stumble here out of the gates, it can be a challenge, especially if you get into late February, knowing you have very little margin of error. So I think we're going to learn a lot about this team over the next five games. Hey, Greg, what would you put the record as with the next five games? At Wake, sorry, home versus Wake at Florida State, at Virginia, home versus Boston College, at Notre Dame. Those five games, what's UNC's record um, after January 13th? I would have to say that the most likely scenario is probably three and two. Uh, I think they can go four and one. But if this team goes five and zero oh during the stretch, that bodes very well for how well this team is going to do, not only in the ACC play, but in getting back to it being a contender for not only the Sweet 16, but beyond. Uh, because yeah, this think, is going to be a tough stretch. But I think three and two is probably the most likely. Yeah, I'd go three and two with the two losses coming either – you know, at, at Florida State, at Virginia, or at Notre Dame. I agree with you all on that. I, I think the Wofford game makes a lot of people nervous. And, and if it is, in fact, a wake-up call, then I think winning a couple of those away games is definitely doable. But we'll see. ACC season starts. Wake Forest in the Smith Center on Saturday. Ross and Greg, hope you all had a, a Merry Christmas and continue to have a good holiday week. Uh, we'll talk again next week. And happy holidays. These ingredients to, to you and all. Thanks for listening to InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC sports. Your home for Tar Heel football, basketball, and recruiting.